When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. In school, it's just not encouraged. We're crying out for young people to do apprenticeships. What you need to do is be on my side. Every time that it happens, we have to talk about how the good men feel. They sent me on for psychiatric assessment, and they said that the thing that's going to fix it is housing. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Enjoy this, the last couple of days of it. The summertime, summertime runs out this week. We officially move to autumn, first of autumn, Thursday, first of September, of course, Thursday. But the weather is going to take us right up to the first day of September. Next weekend, no one's really making any predictions just yet, but it doesn't look great. If you're going to electric picnic next weekend, you could find yourself rained out of it or... You could find yourself with just sunny spells and showers. No one really knows for sure just yet. But enjoy the last few days of it. 22, 23 degrees. 20 degrees, 21, 22 for the next couple of days, which is nice to see. Good morning to you, Monday 0818 96 96 96. Your text to WhatsApp is 083 396 96 96. Your email is opinion at 96fm.ie. Do you see where Father Matthew got a new hat? At the weekend, I, I'd love to know who is able to do that. Literally, climb up Father Matthew in the dead of night and plunk a traffic cone on the poor man's head, and then get down again without breaking their neck. I mean, you hardly just stood there and chucked it up and was a lucky throw. That had to be done with some level of skill. So he had a new hat at the weekend at poor old Father Matthew. And people get outraged at it, and it is. It's vandalism, and it's this, and it's that, and it's t'other. It's just a miracle, I mean, that no one is killed or breaks their neck while they're doing it. Good morning. Uh, School buses supposed to get going this week. We know that because of the decision by the government to waive the fees, loads of people are trying to get on the school buses now. People who never qualified before or never looked to think would they qualify before have been applying for the school buses because you have to qualify. You can't just get a free school bus. You have to qualify for it. And loads of people still waiting on tickets for their family. Peter Hines, what's the story with you? You've got, is it Becky going on Wednesday and you've no tickets yet? Good morning. 
Good morning, Fiji. Um Yeah, so Becky is uh, in, in fourth year, uh, has been on the bus for the last three years, as has her sister, who uh, she did her leave research there in June. So she's finished on the bus now, uh, and Becky still has no word on whether she has a ticket for the bus this year. Which I think is ridiculous because you think for someone that's been on it three years going into transition year, you think the ticket would just automatically renew as opposed to having to reprocess process an application. Mm. And uh, I think it's <laughs> you wouldn't mind if you could get someone on the phone. Uh, but I, I tried a good number of times on Friday. I was on the phone Friday morning for 35 minutes on hold. I was on for 46 minutes on Friday afternoon and just got so fed up of the fact that you have no idea whether someone's ever going to answer the phone that I just, I gave up and I put it up on social media. And This uh, idea that you have to, I'm... I'm I'm glad you started by just clarifying that she's not a newbie to this. Like, this is, you're not a new entrant to the scheme. She's been in this a number of years, and you've always paid the fee. What is the process, Peter? I mean, there's a a bit of a rigmarole involved every February, isn't there? Uh, yeah, sure. I suppose, look, you have to kind of look, it saves your details. You want, Once you log in, it saves the details, the details are saved. And normally what you have to do is make full or 50% of the payment. And then you make the balance of the payment later in the year, the ticket, ticket is issued. But in saying that last year when we did pay, and the, both the girls had been on the bus a number of years previous, there was still a major delay in processing applications in 2021. And I think we got the tickets last minute or got confirmation. And what we were actually told was we wouldn't have the bus tickets in the post for the first day back at school. So they would just get on the on, on the bus. And uh, I did get in contact with someone in bus air in, in the school transport office last year on the phone. I failed this year. But in my opinion, when I kind of saw the free transport coming and the the volume and increase in applications, it was a no-brainer that the system that was there last year was never going to work this year because uh, I mean it, it was going to take a lot of extra manpower. And I don't, I don't. To be fair, I don't think it's down to the school transport office. You know, the people are doing the best they can, but you know, whoever's in charge needs to get a serious grip on it, and they should have foreseen this coming and uh, and dealt with the issue long ago. There are those who would blame the government when back in July, was it Michael McGrath or whatever department said, look, we're going to waive the fees as a gesture towards people struggling with the cost of living. We read the headlines, that's good, that's people going to save a few hundred quid. But they should have anticipated, should they not, that that it would cause a logjam. Well, they should have anticipated straight away and, you know, senior management in the school transport and bus air should have turned around to uh, the government and said, look, we had serious issues processing applications this year. We do foresee with free transport that there's going to be an increase in applications and we need to increase the budget for manpower to, to deal with those applications and process them as quick as possible. And if they can't see that, it's it's absolutely... My honest opinion, I would have actually preferred to have paid for the bus ticket if I could, if, if the thing would have run smoother, because it's not worth the headache and the stress of getting a free ticket when you don't know where you stand with it. And they won't let her on the bus on Wednesday morning without a ticket, will they, Peter? 
it's hard to know. Uh, th- to be fair, the social media team in Bus Aaron were helpful last year in that when I couldn't get in contact with the school transport office, they passed on my mobile number. And somebody kindly rang me back and, and dealt with the situation. This year, I'm just told that uh, they're sorry for the inconvenience, but uh, they're extremely busy at the moment. Okay. So and I can't get anyone on the phone, so we're kind of limbo. And I think, look, the bottom line is the, you know, Vietnam or Foley or who in the government needs to stand up this morning and release a statement and let parents know exactly where they stand until this mess is sorted out. Because a simple, thing, a simple thing you would think, Peter, would be, look, last year's ticket will suffice for the moment kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, it's not rocket science, is it, PJ? But un- unfortunately, when it's not in this country at times, it nearly makes it more awkward you for people. Like, look, last year's ticket will do you till the new one comes. Do you know when... Oh, God. It, sometimes we make the, the very simple, extremely complicated. Peter, thank you. We hope she gets the ticket. Let us know if she does. Anyone else out there caught like Peter and his daughter Becky. Becky, due to go back to school Wednesday, previously held a bus ticket, so is not new to the system, but no ticket so far. And this is Monday, and she's due back to school Wednesday, and Peter isn't sure whether she can get on the bus um, Wednesday morning without one. So, and now, something I was reminded of at the weekend with regards to this stuff is here we are, Worrying, and rightly so, about all these families that don't have their bus ticket just yet and will hope to get their ticket for Wednesday and all these families will be desperately discommoded if they have to drive kids. We get all that. Just bear in mind, it usually takes a week or two into September before I take the first call from a family from a ch- with a child who has special needs and gets a special needs transport scheme because <laughs> they get held up every year and I'm often here at the end of September when kids' bus hasn't come yet so, so we're only this is only sort of the the regular bus holders or bus ticket holders experiencing what the special needs sector have been dealing with for a very long time However, we hope that Becky gets a ticket in time for Wednesday. Anybody else affected, do let us know at 0818969696. On Father Matthew, there was a wheelie bin on Father Matthew earlier in the year. The cone is a regular thing. John said, the question is, who's the person monitoring the CCTV in Anglesey Street? Is it a white stick and a guide dog to have? Ah, John. Ah, John. That's a bit harsh. No, I'm just wondering who it is has the skill and dexterity to climb that thing at the small hours of the morning, probably full of drink, and get a wheelie bin up there without breaking their neck. 0818 96 96 96. Mary was upset at something she saw Saturday. Stream the freshest hits of 2022 on the Hit Mix. Let's go! Or find the biggest workout bangers from a Fit Mix. The Quartz 96 FM Hit Mix and Fit Mix are streaming live right now. Streaming live right now. Melody is playing, playing. Download the Quartz 96 FM app. Listen on your smart speaker. Or go to 96fm.ie. Mary, good morning. You were bothered, I think, by the naked bike ride on Saturday. Well, not so much by the bike ride. Like, if they were just literally flashed past me, 
Um, I wouldn't. <laughs> it was. <laughs> Is that a careful it, choice of words, Mary? Uh, very careful. But it was really. I happened to be meeting somebody by the city hall. I was being collected on my way home from town, and they were standing on the steps with the Lord Mayor getting their picture taken. Right. Well. 50 or so, I don't know how many of them there were a lot, or far too many for, you know 4 o'clock, half past 4, whatever time it was on the Saturday afternoon, to be looking at that on the steps of the city hall it was really no more than I felt was necessary. Yes. As I said, you'd be arrested if you did it normally, actually, like there's why the thing, Mary, ex- you, you wouldn't actually in, in decent exposure there actually, you actually wouldn't, I was asking the organisers that, I said if I went to walk down Patrick Street with nothing on me I'd be arrested, and they said no, not unless you actually are seen to cause offence so <laughs> but it's, yeah but like, like what seemed but like it is assumed you to cause offence kind of, really isn't it there isn't a basic assumption there that nudity causes, public nudity causes offence. Yeah. yeah. It's obviously going to offend. And I'm sorry now, you know, there is all shapes and sizes there. And maybe, and I know it was all about body shaming and everything. But really, you know, as I said, it is offence. It is offensive. I, I certainly could have done without it. Yeah. I'm not, I thought it was funny. We were loud. Like, I was with my 18-year-old daughter who wouldn't cross the road by the city hall, wouldn't even stand in the vicinity. We had to stand nearly around the corner by just in case there was any fear that she'd be associated. And, you know, it, it was causing, uh, people were taking photographs, obviously, with their cameras. There was tourists totally bewildered by the whole thing. What in God's name is going on? Yeah, yeah were, they all, were they painted up? Or were there any of them in shorts on or anything? Were they all painted up? Or there was a few with, there was a few, like with, you know, bikinis or whatever, like a couple, but there was quite a few in altogether, no painting, just... Just standing there. Just standing there, like kind of thing. And whatever, as I said, going past you pretty quickly on a bike is one thing, but standing on the steps of the city hall for 20 minutes is, yeah, you know, just a little, uh, I, I, like the assumption that that wouldn't cause offence to any. And I did see a gentleman actually very, there was three guards, I think, kind of just sauntering around the area. And I did see a man actually complain to them. So if the guardie did get... You know, obviously it was offensive to him so, and the guard, he did nothing. So, you know what I mean? Is it public indecency and that's... Okay. We let people... You know, and why, and why do... Why do... Um, why are streakers kind of stopped at football matches and... Yeah. They used to do this naked bike ride in the very early morning. They'd, so they yeah. Of course, like, and then a few years ago, they switched it to mid-afternoon. Yeah, I just thought it was a bit, and as I said, the stop at the city hall, whatever, as I say about them just going past you and you kind of say, oh my God, like kind of thing, you know, whatever, each to their own kind of type thing. Yeah. But uh, I just thought the whole... Uh, and you said your daughter, yeah. no way would she cross the street until they were gone. Oh, she, oh yeah, absolutely not. Why? What? Why? Was oh, she afraid well, of them or something? Not afraid. She just thought that, well, like, she just thought they must be very strange people to be doing that in the first place, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she would. <laughs> as, someone, as, someone, as someone who took part in it a long time ago in the early yeah. hours of the morning, it's a unique body of people, to coin a phrase. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yes. 
Yes, and you know, you, you kind of. But you know what, Mary? Do you know what I, I found? Think, I think you the, embrace that uniqueness of people as you grow older in life, yeah. maybe, and have more. At eighteen, you don't really. You don't. You, you don't. <laughs> no. I guess, particularly if you no. weren't expecting to see it, Mary. Thanks very much. We'll see if anybody else was was bothered by that. Not so much the naked bike ride, which I think they attracted a hundred odd people to it on Saturday afternoon. But after they'd done their bike ride. They joined the Lord Mayor on the steps of City Hall for photographs. And as the song used to say, let it all hang out, brothers and sisters. That's what they did. Mary, I think she was offended by it. Her daughter was mortified. She said there was one man there complained to the guards. So clearly he was offended by it all. Did anybody see it? Was it offensive to anybody listening? 0818-96-96-96. Thank you, Mary. Michael says all students, including third level, should be provided with free transport on public transport services, which is a wonderful idea, Michael. Just wonder how you'd pay for it. 0818-96-96-96. Did you see where the uh, Southgate Bridge collapsed? There was a wall collapsed down near Southgate Bridge. Over the weekend, there's been a call for urgent intervention now, given the state of of that area in particular. But first of all, we also discovered that we, I'll talk to Dan Boyle about that in just a sec as to what we might do about that section of the river. But we discovered, uh, Dan, you tweeted at the weekend that an awful lot of the money and quite a lot of money allocated to the city council for walking and cycling infrastructure is not being spent. Good morning. Morning, PJ. Um, I, I did, and it, it's more of a national problem. I think, to be fair to Cork City Council, uh, we spend more than most, and I think we're more committed to uh, putting the projects in place. Uh, there's a few barriers. One is capacity. One is that uh, we're, we've been allowed to recruit additional people, uh, 23 of them. We've recruited about 18 to date, so that, that slows down things. Uh, and and sometimes the consultation process, which is necessary, uh, doesn't go as quick with some of these projects as we'd like to hope. And uh, we we have to take stock and implement them uh, over a longer time period. But I I, I think nationally there's a bigger problem in the sense that uh, there's not enough buy-in to these projects, that there's enough not enough agreement politically and by some of the engineers and other county councils uh, that, that that this is necessary. When we came into government, uh, we got a commitment to spend one million a day uh, on uh, on infrastructure that has to do with walking and cycling, mm. and this is this is part of that spending, and it's available. Uh, and the argument is that it, it should be used as quickly as possible because what we're trying to do is we're trying to level the playing pitch because for decades we we've we've planned solely with the motor car in mind and we've made our, our towns and cities less safe places to live in so we have to compensate and, and a lot of these projects for instance with, with the cycleways in particular uh, they're linked to, to schools because we want to go back to give encouragement to people to get to uh, important places in their everyday life uh, by different means uh, and what you're doing is you're, you're, you're replacing um uh, the, the ways people are, are used to using that space uh, before this, yeah, either as drop-off spaces or parking spaces. And we, mm-hmm. we have to make our roads a bit more democratic. Yeah. What happens to delay a lot of projects, I think, Dan, is, and if you look at the, the one planned for, say, Torrey Top Road at the moment, the cycle lane planned for going up there, is you have businesses 
complaining about access for customers and access for supplies. You have people like funeral homes giving out that, you know, you can't get in and out with a hearse kind of thing if you're going to put... And all of that discussion has to be had before you can build the cycle lane. It does, and and the, those concerns have to be addressed. They have to be heard. They have to be responded to. Uh, uh, but but what it isn't, uh, PJ, is a veto. It's a consultation process. Uh, and if the national policy is that the areas around schools, for instance, have to have more cycle lanes, I, I think that's what we have to achieve towards the end of the day. Uh, how we allocate the parking that's remaining, how we assist the businesses that are in place, that's part of that process. But leaving things the way they are isn't an option if we want to improve how we get around in this city and how it's fair to all the citizens and how they move in the city. With regard to the money that comes from central government to pay for this, is there a use it or lose it clause like there used to be with roadworks years ago? It depends on the project. Uh, so if it's project committed, uh, it can go over a longer time period. But uh, the danger of not doing it within the specified time is that it obviously uh, comes under uh, being examined and re-examined in, in the light of other public expenditure needs. Uh, and you know, we're in a situation where, where uh, public resources are, are going to come under an awful lot of pressure with the upcoming budget, for instance. So uh, the argument should be that if this money has been allocated and it's been allocated to be spent now, we should be spending it now and not putting it at risk for the future. Just talk for a second, if you would, Dan, please, about reinforcing the walls in the South Channel. We've had a number of collapses of those key walls, now including another one just at the week. Weekend. Yeah, the most serious ones on Southgate Bridge itself. Uh, it, the original breach was found uh, in March. I, I put down a motion asking that it was given serious consideration. I, I wasn't very happy with the response I received, and what we've seen since is that that particular breach has got bigger uh, and uh, dangerously bigger in the sense that it seems to be going very cl- close to the buttress of the historic bridge itself at the Southgate Bridge mm. uh, uh, and to make the, the last, area safe. The last safe. thing we want is a winter flood, Dan, and that historic bridge being permanently damaged. Oh, well, it, it, it's a wall that has been very badly uh, repaired in the past. It, there's a lot of concrete blocks, for instance, in it, and the, a lot of the tri- traditional stonework has been replaced. What I'd like to see is that the City Council has powers under dangerous buildings to uh, to actually go in and repair a building uh, and give the bill to the owner. There's dispute about the ownership of the wall, uh, which belongs to City Car Park uh, in actuality. Mm. Uh, but I, I, I would argue that it may not be a building but it's a dangerous structure Uh, and what we should be doing as a local authority is making the necessary repairs and billing uh, the people who own the the land adjacent to it because that's where the ultimate responsibility lies and it's not only there there, there's another breach on the other side of Southgate Bridge I've noticed another couple of breaches on Lancaster Quay as well it's something we need to give uh, a huge consideration to across the city I fear that because there, there may be an OPW scheme in relation to the key walls, which some of us are unhappy about because that that, that will utterly change the nature of the key walls in any case. Mm. Uh, that uh, is that whatever work is needed to be done might be done then and by them. I think we should be having a different approach altogether. We should be trying to preserve the natural key walls and we should be repairing them as they, they are getting damaged and we're, we're avoiding doing that. 
Okay. All right, listen, Dan, thank you. Uh, Councillor Dan Boyle, uh, 0818 96, 96, 96. That use it or lose it thing. That's the reason. I'm telling you this now on the 29th, is it? Yeah, of August. You'll wonder when you're sitting cursing and swearing in the pouring rain early some morning in November, you will wonder what brain box decided to start hauling up the road six weeks before Christmas, because it happens every single year. You'll wonder, where were these geniuses in July when there wasn't as much traffic on the road and the schools were closed and it would have been much easier? The weather was better. There was more light. Why are they doing it now? They're doing it now because if they don't do it now, it's called use it or lose it street. The money goes back. So that's why they always start these seemingly bonkers roadworks just a few weeks before Christmas. Mark my words, it'll happen. It's always happened. On the naked bike ride and Mary, Mary's call, what is so offensive, asks Jer, about the naked human body? Uh, it's 2022, not 1982, says, says another message. I'm actually appalled, and I think it is quite abusive behaviour to the people who are going about their daily business in the city, that I have to look at these people cycling around in the nude. That came in on the phone. And the other Mary, who was on the phone, she said, the original caller, she said, a number of them were using the Coca-Cola rented bikes, prompting Mary's brother to say he'd never use one of them again. Do they have a policy on clothing for those bikes? You're joking me, Mary. You brought, so the, the bikes that you pick up and borrow to go around town, they're not Coke bikes anymore now, but... <laughs> so, so Mary's brother says, I wouldn't get up on one of them bikes ever again, he says. <laughs> I'm sorry, no, Mary, that is hilarious. 0818 96 96 96. There's a hose pipe ban coming into effect across West Cork from midnight tonight for at least four weeks. No watering of the lawn, no washing of the car in the driveway, no other such, wa- no paddling pools, no other such waste of water for the next four weeks in West Cork. Our news reporter Maureen Tuig. Where does this ban start Maureen and and how many people does it affect? Good morning. Good morning Peter. Yeah so it's in place from midnight tonight for for four weeks so that takes us up to the 26th of September next and it's affecting party supplies in West Cork so like I suppose just to give an example like Dunmanway, Bantry uh, Clonakilty, Castletown Bear, Copine, so Drina so uh, there's a as I say Skibbereen there as well so there's 30 supplies in West Cork are affected that's just a few of them all of them are up on water.ie along with some tips for people in, in West Cork and it's it's in place because they want to safeguard water supplies for essential purposes. So the recent spell of the long period of dry weather and combined with the increase in demand, it's it means that the water supplies in West Cork have come under severe stress. Like in recent weeks, you know, we've seen nighttime restrictions in the likes of Clonakilty. And uh, so those are in place. And last week it was World Water Week as well. And I spoke to Irish Water then and it was kind of hinted that they were keeping a close eye on the supplies in West Cork because they were under pressure. So here now from midnight tonight for the four weeks, there is the, the hose pipe ban. So since like it all comes because since November of last year, uh, the rainfall in West Cork, it's been below average for every month by last June. And that's when they compared it to historical uh, rainfall records. So 
it takes uh, six to eight weeks of rainfall to actually replenish the water resources. But there was only 6.3 millimetres of rain at the weather station in Roaches Point between August 14th and August 23rd. And when you look across the country, the 6.3 millimetres compares with 18.4 in Mullingar and over 32 in Mercury Castle in County Sligo. So even just from those figures alone, you can mm. see that the, the water supplies in West Cork are under pressure. And yeah. this is a measure that has to be put in place uh, to, to make sure that there is a supply there for essential purposes. Because we've had, in fairness, across Cork, Moirad, I certainly haven't experienced more than a light shower at any stage since about the 4th or 5th of July. But I wasn't, I wasn't aware that we'd had uh, uh, too little rainfall in November, December, because my memory is it never stopped raining last winter. But... M- m- <laughs> You know? This is it. I'm trying to even think back. So, like, it was only in June, just gone, that they they had enough, I suppose, of, of rainfall. But every other month since, it's been below average, and that's what's led to this point um, from today for the four weeks. And there's lots of tips and advice. I know you you opened the piece here with you know saying no watering the garden, no filling the the paddling pool, and I suppose it's coming at a time when when school is back as well. So it's probably not going to be as much demand for the likes of the paddling pools and things like that. Mm. Um, but people are being asked, you know, if you do have things filled like paddling pools or buckets or anything, just use it like in, in your garden to water the flowers and, yeah. you know, be conservative that way that you can upcycle or recycle even your water that you, that you have um, poured out at home. So it's, you know, shorter showers, um, things like that are so important. And if you go on to water.ie, there's a conservation calculator up there and uh, you can work out how much you are saving and how much more you can save. And I think that probably adds, you know, it might make it that bit more, fun maybe that you're able to watch what you're doing and learning as you go but they're tankering water as well from so for example um they were tankering up to 13 tanker trucks of water a day and one example that Nyla Reardon gave me last week was they were taking water from Inniscarra out to Clonakilty Reservoir in large volumes so this kind of uh, these measures have been going on for for the last few weeks they've really been closely monitoring the situation and and as they say from midnight tonight they're bringing in the hosepipe ban for for the four weeks up to the 26th of September um, in order to to ensure that they're conserving water and that they've enough there for essential use. Okay. All right, Maureen, thank you very much. Four weeks of a hosepipe ban kicking in from midnight tonight uh, in West Cork. Water.ie is the website. There's a big thing in the UK at the moment, actually, about they're talking about recycling sewage water and turning it into drinking water. Now, that doesn't sound very palatable, but that's what they're thinking of doing. And did you also know I hear, I'm told, Irish Water are looking at that as well. That we need to have, and it's a weird thing, I, I don't think, I think we must be the only country, ourselves in Britain, have to be the only country, countries rather, in Europe, where we attach a hose to the water we drink. Like the, the outside tap in your garden comes from the same supply as your kitchen sink, water that you can drink and put in the kettle and make coffee with. Are we the only country in the world that puts that water straight into a paddling pool or onto plants or grass? Like, if you go to Spain, you'll see water um, access, you know, access 
panels there and you'll see potable water, P-O-T-A-B. That's drinking water. Then you, you have other water that you can't drink. Like, they water all the grass and all the gardens in any holiday complex. That's all with water you can't drink. Oh, America does it. Okay, put drinking water on, on, on gardens. I'm just wondering, like, that's kind of daft, to be fair. Putting drinking warning, putting drinking water on gardens in 2022 is, is a bit mad if we're trying to save the stuff. 0818... 96, 96, 96. Here's this one in here. Uh, I know farmers already buying silage to use. There's no grass growing at the moment, at the minute. As much as people like the dry summers, we need rain and we need more reservoirs. Well, we certainly need more reservoirs. I hate rain. I'm not going to argue. I hate rain. I know that people need it at this stage. I know the ground needs it. I know the plants need it. I know the grass needs it. I know we need it. It's not going to stop me hating it, though. 0818 96 96 96. Hear only the freshest hits of 2022. Or train harder while we pump out the bangers. The Hit Mix and the Fit Mix are streaming live right now. On the Quartz 96 FM app. Download it today. Download it today. Listen on your smart speaker or go to 96fm.ie. Quartz 96 FM. There's a call in there about the naked bike ride. I'll get to it in a minute. Someone very concerned for a specific reason about the photo shoot at the end of the bike ride. Maybe even about the whole bike ride itself. I'll, I'll get to that. In just a sec. 0818969696. But Mary, you were listening to Dan Boyle about the cycle lanes on Tory Top Road and other things related to that. Good morning. Yes, good morning. What did you like to say? What I'd like to say is, first of all, we have no problem with the cyclists going up Tory Top Road the way they are at the moment because we there hasn't been a survey done and there's hardly anybody going up the road. Ben Boyle was at a meeting on the 2nd of August where we had... Um, <clears throat> Donico Leary, Sean Martin, no, Sean Martin wasn't there, Paddy Deneen, Mick Finn and Fiona Kearns. And we had a meeting with the residents of Tory Dot Road and the school. The mm. school do not want to cycle in because they have said there's no child that's going to go up a hill with a heavy bag and cycle up to school. Plus, it cuts off by the grave, up, up by the, um, the yeah, grotto. Right. Yeah. Up, up by the grotto. Our problem is when they put in for the cycle lane, that means they're going to 12, cut down 12 trees right. to do it. Right. Um, the businesses will be affected up on Tory Top Road, also the lawn right below the graveyard. The graveyard will be affected. Mm-hmm. Our parking on our side of the road from the grotto down to Aldi's will be affected. We won't be able to park outside, so we've been told to park across the road. Mm-hmm. They have problems already with parking. Barely, there's two cars mainly for every household, so we've been told to go down the lower roads. The school especially have problems with parking as it is with the schools, so they're going to have more problems with parking. They're totally against the cycle lane yeah. because there's hardly any bikes going up the road. Dan was making the point that it's, it's <clears> policy now to bring as many cycle lanes as possible, as close to as many schools as possible, to encourage people to cycle to school. That, that's fine, but at the moment, what kids are going to be cycling up a hill? Up a hill. Schools are normally one level, but cycle up a hill with a heavy school bag. They can barely carry school bags as it is, and they have to get a lift. They can't do it. We're mad because they're going to 
upset the whole thing at Tory Top Road, which it should be, as we said before, it should be Tory Top Hill, where they're going to cut down 12 trees. They're on about getting rid of the roundabout. Yeah. And the wooden seating, the businesses up there will be affected, plus the one there by the graveyard. And you're talking about there could be job losses. We have an elderly um, parish here as well. You have the library. We have, That's okay with the, they're saying about that, but you have to understand Tory Top Road. We've got the graveyard. Mm. We've got the parking from the matches. Mm. We've got resident parking. We've got the shops up the road. We've got access to the park, access to the schools. It's yeah. not just the cycle lane. It's like what they're going to destroy everything else with it. Yeah, I know. I've spoken to people on Tory Trap Road. I know the area very well. Mary, thanks for that call. It's, it's not one that they're going to get in there easy. The council are not going to be able to put that cycle lane in without a fight from the locals. That's obvious. Where it goes is anybody's guess, but it's one we'll follow. Mary, thank you. 0818 96 96 96. I think what's bothering or what people are really terrified and I think terrified is a fair word, of energy bills as winter approaches. We've had a lovely summer, lovely dry summer, weather is still quite warm and will be for another week or two, hopefully. But then it's going to get cold, it's going to get wet, it's going to get damp. We're going to need to put on the heating. We're going to be using more light in the dark evenings. And we are terrified. People are terrified of where their electricity and gas bill is going to go. And just there before the weekend, SSE Electricity announced a huge price hike. Like, this is bonkers. Their electricity bill is going up 35% and gas bills 39% from October the 1st. Now, they say it's down to the crisis caused by the war in Ukraine. It'll put an average cost of 600 euro an additional cost of 600 year a year a year for the lecky and 500 for the gas in the average customer and it's just they're all going to do it now once electricity does it they'll all do it and it's going up and up and up and up to a point where a lot of people are saying i just can't afford to heat or to light my home. Dara Cassidy, Head of Communications at Bonkers.ie, has been looking into all these increases and, and blogging about it. Dara, good morning. Good morning, PJ. It's incessant now, the increase in the price of energy and heading into autumn and winter. People are scared. Yeah, we're really heading into uncharted territory, unfortunately. And the bad news is that it's not the end of us. There is pretty much a guarantee prices are going to continue to rise quite significantly for maybe the next six months to a year. Um, and then we're not looking at prices then falling back to more normal levels for maybe even several years. Now, what we thought was going to be a short-term crisis is quickly escalating into a medium to long-term crisis. But when you look at all the price increases over the past 18 months or so, you mentioned SSEs there. Um, but all the suppliers, PJ, have been raising prices. But when you look at them all together, the average gas and electricity bill has gone up by around maybe 1,500, 1,600 euro together. So that's not an insignificant sum of money that people now need to find to heat and light no, their homes. No, that's and that's, I, and that's, that's said, another that's mortgage payment, Tara, in some houses. That's another mortgage it, payment in some houses. Yeah, and like the way I kind of not like looking at us, but another way I put it into perspective is that if you're a top rate taxpayer and you hit the top rate of tax in Ireland at a relatively low sum of money, um, that's another maybe three, three and a half grand that you need to be earning because then you get taxed around half, you know, to pay for that one and a half grand or so. So 
It's a lot of money, um, and as I said, it is almost a guarantee that SSE will increase prices again over the next few weeks and that the other suppliers will significantly increase their prices again. Now, Dara, this is happening at a time where, and you don't need me to tell you this, the the generators of energy, like the owners of these, they're making colossal profit. So there's... You've got colossal profit in the industry against prices going up for ordinary people. And there's a people are going, that's just immoral. Now, you've been blogging about it on, on bonkers.ie, and there's a bit more to take into consideration, is there? There is. The biggest place or where the biggest profits are being made at the moment, what people need to remember, is it's in companies like Shell, BP, Russia's Gazprom, Saudi Arabia's, Amaramco, these are the companies that actually extract the gas, the coal and the oil. They're making the big bucks. As you move further down the energy supply chain, the profits get smaller and smaller. And as most of your listeners will know, we import the vast majority of our fossil fuels. There is very, very little uh, gas in Ireland. We have the carved gas field. We've no coal. We've no oil that we can go after. So we can't go after another country's money. And we certainly can't go after gas, coal and oil that's been extracted in another country's territory. So we could go after the owners of the carved gas field, but it's not going to be the windfall we expect. Some of the generators of electricity are making a little bit of good money at the moment. Um, And there's a difference between a generator of electricity and a supplier. So some suppliers of electricity, they they literally just give you your bill and they provide a customer service. And then they buy electricity on the wholesale market. They don't actually make electricity just Mm. to make it as, as simple as possible. But the main supplier, sorry, the main um, generator, PJ, is is the ESB, which which we own, and we can't really tax ourselves. Now, the government did take a big dividend from the ESB earlier on in the That's year a of phen- over hundred phenomenally profitable euro. company, Dara. Yeah, no, it is. It's pr- profitable, but we own it. So we take those taxes and um, it made an operating profit of last last year of around maybe 700 million euro. We took a profit or we took a dividend of 126 million to pay ourselves, a multiple of which was probably paid back out in the form of the 200 euro energy credit. Now you might say, well, what was the other 500 million doing? Where did that go? Huge investment is needed in Ireland's electricity grid over the coming years to cope with blackouts, to deal with the growing population, to help us meet our renewable energy targets. I don't think people realise that. So yeah. we could take that money, but but that's an extra 500 million euro that isn't going to be there when we need it. And actually, according to Airgrid, which manages the grid, up to 3 billion euro could be needed in Ireland's electricity yeah. grid over the coming years just to cope uh, you know, with, with keeping the lights on, as it were. So there's no easy solutions. And if there were easy solutions and easy places to tax, um, you know, we, we'd have done it. That's not to say, though, PJ, that we shouldn't go after some, you know, profits that we think are excessive. Mm. But listeners need to listeners need to be just told, told the cold hard truth yeah. that it is not going to be um, a huge big windfall. It, it it can become something of a political football. I think is what you're saying without actually saying it. Dara, one thing that yeah yeah, yeah one thing that that no, has been very no, sorry. yeah go ahead sorry. 
No, no, I was, no, I was just going to say, I mean, there, there is an argument as well that PJ, that from a solidarity point of view, the government should be seen to be doing something. And I get that. So when people hear and see those, um, you know, there's headlines that say the government isn't going after the energy companies or the government isn't playing a windfall tax. I know how that can upset people and can irk people. But as I said, people just need to be told the truth and they need to realise that going after windfall profits in Ireland, at least, is not the easy answer because there aren't windfall profits really being made. Trying to tax someone who isn't even here. Just on the subject exactly. of, air, of electricity, though, and this point was made, I don't know how many times over the weekend, since when mm. did wind get more expensive? Because electricity generates using the wind. Since when did wind get more expensive? So it's kind of complicated, uh, but what people need to realise is that there's only one electricity grid in Ireland. So no matter who your supplier is with, PJ, you don't get your own supply of electricity, which is why it's so easy to change supplier. Um, no one comes into your house and puts down a new set of electrical wires or a new set of gas pipes when you switch gas and electricity supplier. It's the one supplier. We all feed from the exact same grid. Right. SSC Electricity owns wind farms. Um, it has around, I think, 27 or 28 wind farms throughout the country. It feeds in renewable energy into the um, electrical grid. But like all energy suppliers, that energy gets mixed together. Understood. And then it really sells. Yeah, and then the law gets sent back out to customers. And that, Understood. That's giving a very, very simple, <laughs> simple way. But if you think of it maybe logically as well, PJ, if SSE customers were only getting wind energy, well, then sure, they'd have no gas or they'd have no electricity half the time when the wind isn't blowing. This is true. So, um, last so, one, but, but last I, one, Dara, and it's an opportunity for you to mention your, your own services. Um, yeah. I went to Bonkers on the 20th of August. At that time, I was recommended to change to SSE. Mm-hmm. I switched. The price went up last Friday. What am I to do now? I'm still within the 14-day cooling-off period. Mary. You you can, but you need to remember is that you're still getting the discount. So even in a period of rising prices, usually all the suppliers raise prices together, and this is what we're seeing now. But if you get a discount of, let's say, 20 to 30%, that discount will actually still hold. So the chances are you could still be better off with staying with SSE or Tricity, because if you move your, you know, your, your, your the chances are your next supplier might hike prices as well or the discount mightn't be as good. But if you are within the 14 days, you can cancel the order and then you can sign up with someone else if you okay. want to. But I would say to people, PJ, that it absolutely still pays to switch. You can get a discount, like I said, of up to maybe 30 to 40% for a year, which would help take the sting out of rising prices. Yeah. And this is really the one winter, the one year you don't want to be paying top dollar for your energy. And I don't mind telling you, Dara, I did use a service last year and I did save some money. I, I hope to God I can save money going forward but we'll see Dara Cassidy Head of Communications at Bonkers.ie It's not as easy as some people would have you believe to go after the profits you'd love to but it's not as easy as it sounds Cold Hard Truth The lines are live and we're ready to talk Can we just talk Call 0818 96, 96, 96 Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96 Email opinion at 96fm.ie The Opinion Mind with PJ Coogan On Cork's 96FM Now as you know I have many many friends in the uh, mother and baby home um, sector as in survivors people who were born there people who have traced their adoptions and all that and I've been involved in it for many many years and I have the pleasure every year the honour of 
emceeing and hosting the Besborough commemoration. So I, I keep in very close contact with all these people. And there's a story on the Examiner this morning, front page of the Examiner, and it is annoying in the extreme. This is awful. The government said that it would review submissions made to the Mother and Baby Homes Commission. You remember we had the Mother and Baby Homes Commission held over a period of time, and many survivors gave their testimony, gave heart-wrenching emotional testimony, and then when the report came out, we're not at all happy, not at all happy. We spoke to one or two of them with the way their testimony had been used, with the way their testimony had been interpreted, the way their testimony had been, as they saw it, as they saw it, uh, edited to suit a narrative. And in June 2021, the Minister, Roderick O'Gorman, said that he would appoint an international human rights expert to examine the written testimony and see... Had it been handled properly, had it been interpreted properly, had it been used properly? We read in this morning's paper and heard it on the early morning news that they've now abandoned that plan. not going to happen now. They're not going to review this, which is a big turnaround from where Roderick O'Gorman was in June 2021 when he said, OK, we'll have another look at it. We'll see was it done right. We'll see was it interpreted correctly. And we'll come back to you on it. Now that's been abandoned. And Tom Walsh was on saying that this is the minister not doing what he said he would do. And it's going to have a very serious effect on the people and children concerned because they, all they see here is a further lack of concern by the government in what they went through and what their mothers went through and what their grandmothers went through. And we're going back to the days of no openness and back to the days of secrets and lies. And that will annoy and upset a lot of people. Thanks for that, Tom. One other one I want to do before I go to Susan there is to do with the naked bike ride. And this was a comment that came in. Mary raised the subject in the past hour of the naked bike ride, which happened on Saturday. And Mary was upset, annoyed, really, that at the end of the naked bike ride, there was a photo opportunity on the steps of City Hall with the Lord Mayor and other officials. And all the participants were there from the naked bike ride in, as she put it, in the all-together. Now, some of them had bikinis on, some of them had shorts on, but for the most part, they were, as you say yourself, letting it all hang out, brothers and sisters. And Mary was sort of taken aback by this. Her daughter was mortified. She said one man was very upset and went up and was complaining to Gardaí. And they were there for 10 or 15 minutes taking photographs and... Mary just said, look, have your cycle by all means and make your point about climate change and cycle safety and all of that. But please, you know, there's no need for naked photo shoots on the steps of City Hall. And we had a bit of a laugh talking about it and a few reactions came in um, for or against. But then this came in. I just want to leave it with you for a second and see what you think. This caller said the organisers and the Lord Mayor have badly left down people who were abused or were victims of rape with this prominent public display. There are very good reasons why we maintain certain protocols. And just because you want to have a laugh or just because you want to shock people into action about climate change is not a good reason to ride roughshod over those protocols. It's also very triggering if you are or were a victim. And I just said I put that out there for what it's worth and see what you think. 0818 96 96 96. Now Susan, we were talking a few weeks ago uh, about 
Scarlett and her wheelchair and you were telling me she is completely grown out of the wheelchair that she's in and she's, as they say, bet into it and very uncomfortable and very sore and there was no sign of another wheelchair in the mix. It has come, has it? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Happy Monday. And to you. Has it come? Um, it has come. Uh, we got a phone call Thursday evening to say that it had arrived, but there were parts that needed to be ordered for it. Right. Um, so uh, not to get our hopes up. So I didn't tell anyone that it possibly was coming Friday. Um, we had an appointment for Friday to get seat cushions put onto the, the adult chair she had a loan of. Um, so instead we got surprised by, here's your new chair. Uh, she's absolutely over the moon. We're over the moon. Mm. It is just so nice to see her sitting comfortably in the chair. Um, Has everything come? Are beyond, all the parts there? Uh, so all the parts. So basically, the the brackets that were holding the chair um, were different to what the company making the seat were expecting. Um, so they had to order further parts for it. It was just something they didn't know. It was going to come that way. Um, so they ordered those parts and they it was all fitted and ready when we arrived on Friday morning for the fitting. Um, there are other parts that were missing from the chair, but they're not affecting her seating or the chair's movement. Sure. Um, it's electric, isn't it? I mean, it, it isn't. It's a full power chair, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the batteries and yeah. the connections have all arrived. Yeah, so that was what was um, the hold-up, the, the batteries and the armrests and everything. They all came from Germany, from that um, that manufacturer. Um, so, yeah, because she's a full-power chair wheelchair user, she technically needs a second chair as well, a, a manual chair for if it ever malfunctions. Yeah. But that's a whole other story. It's something that's being denied as well at the moment. So it's another fight on our hands, but it won't be as, as big as the one we've just had. Mm. So she can get into her new chair now and go around, go about in it. Yeah, she she's free now again, and she's sitting perfect. And you know, she's she's absolutely delighted with herself. And mm. um, she wants to say a quick hello to you there as well. I'd love to. Hi, PJ. Hi, Scarlett. How are you, love? How's your new chair? It's working out good. Good. It's much more comfortable, is yeah. it? Yes, it is. Yeah, because you were really squeezing yeah, into the last. I'm able to drive around perfectly. That's brilliant. That's yeah. brilliant. It's just out. getting used to the new size of it, all right. Uh, yeah. So she's had a couple of little bumps. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a d- different size to what she was used to. Yeah. Can you go fast? Can, can you go fast? Yes, <laughs> I can, yeah. Good. She, she, she's on a speed limit indoors. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Daddy and Mommy have a control at the back so they can control me as well. Yeah, we've a parent control as well that um when she's unsteady because she's visually impaired as well. When she's unsteady on surfaces that we can take control um and help her along. Fantastic. We're back back to school this week, aren't we? She's back to school on Thursday. She can't wait. She absolutely loves school. Yeah. So um can't wait to show off her new chair in school, yeah? She can't, no. And, and the, like, she can't wait to show the bus driver even because we were to clarify with him last September that he would be able to take this new chair. Um, so obviously a year later now when he finally gets to bring it on the bus. So uh, she can't wait for him to show up Thursday morning to show him. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Great, great, great it, excitement. It is amazing. Great excitement. It is, it is. It's brilliant. Um 
But like, you know, we're delighted we have finally have the new power chair and everything. But there's so many other children around the country. So because I've started this fight in Scarlett's name and I've shared pictures and I've done all that with Scarlett's um, images, I want to continue that fight for other children all around the country that are still in that waiting list. Good They're still you. waiting. Yeah. And again, with all the other disabilities. Remind us again, Susan, when... Scarlett was first identified as needing this new chair. How long ago was that? I know you told me before. It was September 2020. Right. So, um, you know, we're two years in in a couple of days yeah. of knowing that she needed this new chair. Um, you know, and there are other children all around this country that are in the exact same position, exact same time frame. Yeah. So it's not even just Cork. Um They've blamed the new uh, the new the new services. They've blamed COVID. They've blamed everything else. But like this is going on long before kind of any of the drama of it all. Indeed. indeed. Um, so so your, your your group you've set up now your support page you set up. Where can people find it? Um. So uh, the the main myself where I'm on Instagram. Um. Sue B uh, plus three, yeah. but the main um. The main fight for everything is Fuss Ireland. Well, um, so we're on Instagram and they have a website. Excellent. All right. So Fuss Ireland, yeah. You're Be- because, it's, yeah, it, it, it's more than physical disability. Like I have a son with autism as well. And I know you're sim- you're, you're familiar with all that absolutely, system yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's absolutely nothing there. Yeah. You know, he's four years on his, um, on his uh, journey mm. and he's no services. Yeah. You know, it's it's not right for any child no, to go through any of this. No, it's not right. It's not right. Susan, thank you very much. So Fuss Ireland, and delighted for Scarlett, delighted for the family. But as Susan said, so many other kids and young people waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. So Fuss Ireland, as I said, and I've been saying this for a while now, Fuss is rapidly turning to fury. Thank you, Susan. 0818 96 96 96. Let me clear one or two more things that we're into. With regard to bus transport in schools, talking to Peter Hines very early on, and I, his kids have been taking the school bus for years. He's just worried about Becky not having one for, for Wednesday, having her ticket for Wednesday. Michael sent an email to opinion at 96fm.ie. Valid question, says Michael. Where does the money come from to pay for free transport? That's a question that people ask. It's a very valid question. Well, money was found, he said, to pay those off work due to COVID and have no problem with that. They deserved that support. Money has been found to support the Ukrainian refugees, nearly 50,000 of them now, and have no problem with that. They've suffered in their own country and should be supported. Ireland make missions available, make millions available, millions available to NGOs annually and have no problem with that. We donate millions to third world projects and I have no problem with that. So free transport should be provided to all students. In addition, I also feel the government should provide free childcare facilities for younger children. Oh, this was, I responded to your earlier one, Michael, as to all school-going children should have free transport and include third level. And I said, who was going to pay for it? And your point is there. We can pay for everything else when we need to pay for everything else, so we should pay for it. That's, yeah, it's, it's a response. Thanks, Michael. Can we just talk?
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Here's a cool idea. If you go to Belfast or Derry, particularly Belfast, there are any number of taxi tours around the various parts of the historic city. Belfast, for example, there's one particular tour where you can do Nationalist Belfast and Loyalist Belfast in the same tour with two different drivers. It's it's brilliant. We I don't think we've ever had something like that here in Cork until now. Uh, Sean Houlihan, you've set up the Cork City War of Independence taxi tour. Good morning. Good morning, PJ, and uh, thanks very much for having me. This sounds like a fabulous idea. Tell me all about it. Well, I suppose, uh, PJ, I always had a passion for the era of the War of Independence since I was a young fellow, you know. Um, my grandfather was a man by the name of Bill Kremen, who was uh, an old IRA man. He was an officer in, uh, he was in the 9th Battalion, 1st Cork Brigade. He was based down around the Kinsale area. So, you know, having heard about him and, you know, various stories over the years, like he was good friends with a a man by the name of Paddy Trahi, who was a commandant in the 2nd Battalion here in the city, who was killed by the Black and Tans on the corner of the junction of Princess Street and Patrick Street. So... You know, just all the stories back the years. I just always had the passion for it. And I often taught at this tour. And like everything else during COVID, of course, uh, there was so many commemorations missed, you know, because of COVID. Because, like, we're talking about the period of 1919 to 1921. And, you know, this last couple of years, that was the COVID. Mm. So, um, yeah, I was been thinking about it. And then I said, look, there's only one way around this now to go for it and give it a go. You know, you mentioned the Belfast tour. Um, yeah, obviously I did that myself and very interesting. So, look, the people that have been on my tour so far, it's got a great reception. Um, the very first tour was taken by uh, Eamon Fitzpatrick, who worked with yourselves there in 96 FM Indeed. back in the 90s. Um, so Eamon and his mother, Mary, were my very first customers. And uh, Eamon said to me, look, you've got a great product and um, I think it'll it'll go for you. And Eamon's company, Isest Marketing, are helping me with the marketing and the advertising, which is about to start. Yeah, because this is you really know? fascinating. Now, it's two hours. Where, where do you visit, Sean? So it's a two-hour uh, taxi tour. We begin down in Shear Street because uh, that's that was the volunteers' hall, say, and they were that was headquarters there for the volunteers between 1915 and 1917. So I begin there because I want to give the background, like rather than jumping straight into the War of Independence, you know. So I give the background what they were at around Cork City for the rising time in 1916 and all that, and you know, basically give the story up to 1919 and that takes about 15 minutes or so there before I take off and then I take off I drive over to Wallace's shop the the two Wallace's sisters there in St. Augustine Street Sheila and Nora Wallace their shop was headquarters for the first cart brigade during the war of independence uh, you know and um, it's down a side street there and people are walking past it every day and nobody knows yeah. you know well I, lots of people know I of course I think that's the fascinating I mean, part of it I think yeah. like this particularly I, I think in, in our own city Sean we'd probably be mm-hmm. astounded by the historical places we're just walking through with a coffee in our hand 
you know, taking in the morning air. And now, where are we going like, here? I mean, like PJ, what what, what we need to, to remember is like this is a, a hundred, just over a hundred years ago, but what happened and like there was action here all the time, like during this two years, like it was Cork was under you know and a brutal military regime, you know, as such. And I mean, it could destroyed. Of course, you had the morning of Cork. I come to that at one stage of the tour, you know, and that was as with a prize laughter, um, you know, the Dillon's Cross ambush, there, which, you know, is one of the stops on the tour. I go up, up around there and up around uh, the barracks, uh, Collins Barracks, which was then Victoria Barracks. There was a few thousand British troops in there. And, you know, on Summerhill North there, you had um, the, the Black and Tans had their base there. Uh, so, you know, but there's so many places, but I suppose what I was trying to say there is these are the very same streets and buildings that the first Cork Brigade were walking on that we walk today. Yes. You know? Yes. Um, nothing's changed. All these fellas had the same accents as you and, you and me. Yes. You know? It's only two or three generations ago. Like, I'm 56 years old. I can remember 1970. Yes. Which is uh, 52 years ago. So it's only the same time again. Before that, yes, you know it's not it's not that long ago, but I mean, uh, it's it's there's an amazing story to be told, and like really in the two hours, I offload as much information as I have, but sure you couldn't offload it all because it just isn't enough time. Yeah, but it's, you know it's a two, it's a two hour tour. Um, what you ask me, where else do I go? Um, so the Wallace sisters shop then over around the mall there, and I talk about the assassination of Lieutenant Colonel Smith there over around City Hall and talk about, I suppose, our two famous martyrs, Tomas McCurtain and Terence McSweeney, you know? Yes, yes. Both, both Lord Mayors of the city, both um, commanders in the IRA, yeah. First Cork Brigade, you know? Uh, then there's, you know, there's lots of guys that I only came across myself that I mentioned on the tour uh, while I was doing my research. And on just while I'm mentioning research, could I just say a thanks to my first cousin, Kieran Kremen, historian, who gave me an awful lot of assistance and encouragement to go ahead with this tour. Well, you know, so I think it's, thanks, br- I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant, Sean. It's a fabulous, and, and I look forward to taking the tour with you because I, 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 I love, oh, to, I love to see it. Um, it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's, it's, it's a fabulous idea. You'll find it on Instagram and you can, there's a number there to book and all of that. It's a seven people max in the, in the cab, but it's 20 euros per person for the tours, two hours. Our new Cork City War of Independence taxi tour. That's Sean 
Houlihan, the man behind it. Fascinating. Fa- and he's right, you know, 100 years ago, this was a very, very different city. But really, it wasn't, because the places that he visits on this tour, 100 years ago, they were the site of war. Now, look at look out at our wonderful city. It's great. And as he said, they had the same accents as we have. I can't wait to take that tour. Let's give him a call. Kate was on about tourism. I saw this at the weekend. Influencers being paid whopping money for promoting tourism. It was in the papers at the weekend. Like daft money. TikTokers and Instagrammers being paid huge money to promote tourism. Kate's down in West Cork at the moment. And all anybody's talking about is the prices down here. A breast of chicken. 25 quid in a restaurant. Yeah, the price of food in restaurants and has gone up big time. And the things I hear about West Cork, I'm not sure I like them very much. It's getting very expensive down there. I'm going down myself for a weekend away in a couple of weeks. We're going down to Baltimore for a weekend. And I'm just very interested to know what kind of prices we'll pay in the pubs and restaurants down there. It looks like it's gotten terribly expensive. Thank you, Kate. 0818 96 96 96. Now, I've told you before, I loved maths as a kid. For years, I couldn't quite get my head around it. And then I had two teachers who changed all that. One was a man called Phil McGinn, who who taught me how to think my way through maths. And the next was Liam Bournes in my secondary school, Creastree, who was just a gifted maths teacher. And between the two of them, I developed a knowledge and love that I thought was beyond myself and and I I still love maths to this day and I can never understand why people don't actually like maths or are frightened of maths but you do need you do need that one teacher you do need that one person who'll show you TJ Hegarty is founder of Breakthrough Maths TJ we'll talk about Breakthrough Maths in a minute but I think you'd agree with me maths is something that you need to be brought into and shown the love of good morning Morning, PJ, and thanks for having me on. It, it is, yeah, it's most different subject to all the other subjects on the curriculum. Um, requires, it requires a different kind of mindset towards, you know, practicing it and doing the questions. And it's about problem solving, ultimately. And it's very interesting you mentioned about, um, you know, that one or two teachers who can really make it for you. And it's probably one of the reasons why I started Breakthrough Maths is the impact you can have, one teacher can have on showing the kind of how maths can be, you know, challenging, made fun and how you can make progress through the subjects. And uh, it's, I had my own subject, I had my own um, student, Fionn, before Fionn McCarthy, and uh, he was one guy that really showed me the power of that. How did, how did that happen? How, tell me about it, Fionn. So, I'm from from Whitechurch, and Fiona was um, Fiona's a student in, in Whitechurch, my neighbour, and we uh, Fiona's autism, and uh, I began teaching Fion kind of first year, second year in school, and Fion had um, difficulties uh, coming through school. It's not easy, uh, and it was always hard from going up through school and trying to get the support. And I just started teaching Fion locally and teaching him every weekend extra support in maths, and. Um, it was amazing. It was the first time that I've seen, uh, you know, such uh, progress and such a uh, such joy from the students. Uh, Fionn did maths with me every single weekend, and he began to progress. And 
for a guy who was just struggling to, to get through school at all and wasn't happy, he began to turn. And probably one of the happiest days I've ever had was when Fionn did his junior cert in, uh, and he got the results. And I remember his mother, Elaine, um, she rang me that same day, the junior cert results, and he pulled out the results, took a video, and she sent me the video. And uh, pulled out results, and Fionn turned to the camera and said, uh, I got a B. <laughs> I think we all burst out crying. I was like, that is incredible. A guy who hated school, who was really struggling, um, just trying to get through everything, who began to love it, and it just kicked from there, PJ. Fionn ended up going on to do his leaving cert, did higher-level maths. We kept teaching him all the way through. Uh, yeah, with Peter Blake was his teacher, one of our guys um, was teaching right through. We taught him online through COVID. And would you believe this? Fionn ended up getting 480 points getting into MTU and did higher level maths and has now just finished first year MTU engineering. Ah, that's a wonderful story, TJ. That's <laughs> I'd say that apart from the joy for his family and himself, I, the, the joy for yourself as a teacher to see that happen. Like no other. It's the whole reason I set it up. Like, how more, how, like, it's so raw, it's so, it's so, like, that is life in itself, isn't it? To see that kind of progress and to see that kind of joy, um, it was amazing. I, I was in bits when, it, when, he, when he got results of, and he actually made the paper, the front of the examiner, I think it was the 4th September last year. And I remember there was Saturday's examiner and I was like, God, this is everything. And I have a frame here in front of me and it's, it's probably the proudest day of my life so far. Why are so many people afraid of math? Let me tell you my own story, TJ, it goes back a number of years, as you'd appreciate. I remember being in, in school and, and wanting so much to do honours maths. Loving maths. I, I loved it, but I struggled. And I constantly got Ds and a good result would be a C. And then I went to see this man, film again. And the first thing he did was he sat me and he gave me a paper. And he said, do that. And he walked out. Left me there for an hour with a paper. And I... Well, got through it as best I could. He took it away. He said, there's a B in you and I'll get it out of you. And I thought, what? He said, there's a B in there and I'll get it out of you. And he did. By showing me how to think mathematically. And when I learned how to think mathematically, I began to love thinking mathematically. Is is, is there something of that in it, TJ? It definitely is. There's actually a real term, uh, maths anxiety. And it's a real term where people, it's the only only subject where people actually Maths instigates anxiety into students. Isn't that amazing? You know, know what I mean? Do we know why that is? It isn't, like, it's a very different mindset and way of going about subjects. If you think of all the rest of subjects, um, there's kind of a process, there's kind of, like, numbers in itself, uh, like, it, it just, it's, it's like, it's like it's, um, it kind of shocks the brain a small bit and you're faced mm. with a problem with math, with numbers and maths. Like, oh God, I've been doing geography all morning or, you know, history all morning. And they kind of relate to each other. You're kind of writing written mm. answers. And then you go into maths and it's like, oh dear, <laughs> how do we start this? And it's a knock-on effect. And students are, students, um, they're so malleable. And for good and for worse, when they go bad in a subject or if they get a few bad results, they keep going down and down. And... We've been, we've been chatting to mothers, uh, it's what we do, and parents all day, and one of the things they've been telling us is confidence, 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 confidence. And do you know what? One of the biggest things in maths is confidence. Mm. And, like, 
that's all parents talked about is confidence. And one of the amazing things we have is in our maths grinds, our, our most attended class is primary school. Primary and school? Yeah. It's is, like it, the is, whole, it, is it there the problem starts, TJ? Possibly. Uh, like usually it kind of is that first year, second year. So the parents are thinking, right, let's have them ready to enter secondary school. Because the support in primary school is amazing. And um, when you move into the secondary school curriculum, the math is a lot harder. Oftentimes the parents will be a long way away removed from doing that type of maths and students can end up getting lost. Do you know what I mean? When people are introduced to algebra and it's like, oh God, I can't really help them here. And the student just goes backwards. And that's what you begin to see early in secondary school. Yeah. Uh, how do you, do you agree or disagree on this point? We've started giving calculators to children way, way too young. So the skill of mental arithmetic, actually using that muscle that is the thinking center in the brain, that skill is gone. And we, all the log book, the things, logs and signs and tangents and cosines that we all use in maths every day, they're in the calculator. So you don't have to figure out how it works out. Do you think that in taking that out of the, the curriculum, we've actually damaged people's ability to learn and remember? Um, I actually was talking to a parent about this last week, and I actually would would tend to slightly disagree. Would you? Um, yeah, I would. Uh, I disagree for the reason that kind of like when you think of of all these students now entering the workplace, right? What are they going to be doing? They're going to be working on computers, mm. work with Excel, engineers working, you know, coding, all that kind of thing, and that's all done through computers, right? Right. But working through with computers and problems like that requires kind of a different way of kind of processing words okay. and maths and algorithms. And, you know, years and years ago, you had to learn your tables by heart. And they still learn tables in, in, uh, in the school curriculum, but maybe not to the extent as it was done previously. But the types of questions on the Leaving Cert after instructional project maths has changed. Yes. And the types of careers has changed as well. So here's the question. Is it worthwhile really hammering home the tables or is it, is it worthwhile to get a basic understanding of the basics of the tables and then right. begin to say, hey, right, let's teach you to really problem solve? It's funny It's funny that you should say that because, uh, you know, I, my, my, I was talking about that with my daughter because I used to do, when we, I'd be helping her with her maths and, and I'd have something done in my head and she's writing it down in a column and I said, no, no, do it in your head. She says, I'm never going to have to do it in my head in real life, Dad. <laughs> I'm never going to have to do it in my head and we left. Okay, fine, 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 fine. I get it. I get it. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I know she's out. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. it, it is it is a different way. Like the the, the problems they'll receive from the junior search and leaving stuff upwards. The curriculum has changed. They're doing more yeah. continuous based assessment. It's all problem solving. It's all thinking about reality and bringing maths into that. Yeah, and I think people struggled as well with it. You couldn't really relate it to anything in real life. You like you'd relate languages because you need them. You can relate history and geography because you're traveling and you know things. You couldn't relate maths to real life and people struggled with that. Is that still the same? I guess there's a part of that too, but I am, I, maths actually, and one of the things talking to parents as well, right? Like, why is there such a focus on maths now? It's because parents are thinking about, right, like what are the jobs of the future? Where are the opportunities lying? Mm. And it is in engineering. It is work with computers. Coding. What's, mm. the, co what's the core subject to that? 
It's maths. It's yeah. problem solving. That's what these companies are looking for. And I, I was reading this morning in one of the papers that in England, maths has become the number one subject chosen for A-levels, having previously been down uh, fourth in, two, in the year 2000. That it's a global thing. The future of work is true, is working with problems and work with maths. And that's why people are getting extra support in maths at an earlier age now. I see. I see. Tell me about Breakthrough. You set it up in 2020. Two years ago. Set up, set up in 2020 and uh, kind of spawned from work with Phil McCarthy. I was like, right, there's something here. And if you can keep if you can keep a personable touch to maths, bring a bit of energy and enthusiasm to it, you can be surprised why you can turn around. And I ended up setting it up and we went online. So obviously COVID had an impact. And then I began to see the students were progressing online and actually really getting benefit from it and still playing their hurling, still playing their football. I was like, yeah. That makes so much sense. Why not do small classes online? Why would you drive back in and out to Cork City to get a grind and come back out again? And you've already gone to school nine to five and go back into the car. It made very little sense to me. And so I set it up and I began to just uh, hire friends of friends who are in UCC, who were very bright and were studying maths and engineering in UCC. And it just kicked from there. And like we added more structure to it and we had a super year last year. And this coming year, really really excited for it we put um we're hoping to grow hoping to grow big time across this year and teach over a thousand students in a given academic week this wow. year and um that's crazy when you think about it. it's only two <laughs> years set up you know? well, clearly clearly you're getting something right tj you're clearly getting something right had super talent and one of the big kind of um one of the big kicks for me was we hired Shane O'Connell, uh, who has over 20 plus years experience at both primary school and secondary school level, at principal level as well. Mm. And we both agreed like, yeah, look, there's a huge opportunity here to give students help with maths. Online is the way forward and keep the classes small, keep them personable. And uh, it'll be such a valuable service to parents and students across Ireland and further afield. You're breaking down the mystery and that's the key to it all. Breakthrough maths founder TJ Hegarty started in September 2020, two teachers, 24 students, will now uh, employ, has now employed 28 tutors and a principal and head of education and will teach over a thousand people a week. It's, that's an incredible Cork success story and all down to a young man called Fionn. We think of him too, because he's part of the success story. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Side. Hi, it's Michael with the latest in Cork entertainment. Award-winning Andrew Ryan is a Cork comedian making it big in England, winning the Leicester Comedy Festival Best Show Award alongside numerous TV appearances. He comes to City Limits Comedy Club this Saturday night. Access all areas. Sharon Shannon, Francis Black and Mary Coughlin are set to unite once again for a unique show bringing together their collective talents. An evening with Sharon, Francis and Mary is a night not to be missed taking place at the Opera House on Sunday, September 11th. Access all areas. If you have a gig, exhibition or any entertainment news coming up in the next few weeks, drop us a line here at Access All Areas on AAA at 96FM.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on Side. On Cork's 96FM. During the early days of the pandemic, the very early days, I'm talking March, April 2020. What was the most amazing thing to watch when we were all locked down and living in genuine fear because we were frightened at the time? The number of people who volunteered anywhere they were needed. They brought 
bags of messages to elderly people who were cocooning and all that kind of thing. Just hundreds of thousands of people volunteering and doing stuff. And it should have been no surprise to us because we're really good at this as a nation of people. But now the Cork Volunteer Centre has come up with an idea to, I think Aidan, or Adam Lacey, the manager down there, to build on that and to build on that incredible sense of community that emerged at the start of COVID. Good morning. Good morning, Peter. How are you? Very good. That's what happened. It was amazing the way people just put up their hand and said, I'll help any way I can. We're a great country that way. Exactly. And like at the start of the pandemic, we um, started reaching out to members of the public just to put their name forward if they wanted to help in any way. And we saw thousands of people sticking their names down just to offer help, even just to, like like you said, deliver the messages or uh, go to the pharmacy or anything that, that was needed, I suppose. I remember being here in the, in the mornings and reading out almost every day a set of numbers that you could pick up the phone if you wanted to help exactly. with this or help with that or help with the other. And people did and there are thousands. Exactly. And look, from what we're working on now is the core community volunteers and that's kind of a stepping stone from that. So okay. um, all those good people that put their name forward, we wanted to keep in contact with those people and um, see if they wanted to engage in other ways in the communities because a lot of the feedback we were getting was that people kind of wanted to get to know their neighbours. They might have been new to Cork and especially during the lockdowns and everything, it was hard to meet your neighbours or how to, to do any activities in your local community. Mm. So this project is, is a good opportunity for people to get involved and take part in local community events and festivals and um, have a bit of fun when they're doing it. So tell me about it. You just sign up? Yeah, exactly. So the, the community volunteer program, it's very flexible in terms of we have a series of events that will come up throughout the year, um, a lot of them with Cork City Council um, and then some other organisations like Cork Film Festival or Cork Pride. Um, and people can opt in whenever they want. There's no commitment. They don't have to do a series or a, sp- a specific number of, of uh, volunteering uh, festivals, but if they're free on a weekend and they want to help out, they can sign up to help on that. And it's different than maybe mainstream volunteering, uh, where people have to maybe go to a charity shop a certain day a week for a number of hours, or people have to go um, to um, support an office or support an admin role. Um, as a volunteer, this is very flexible and it can work with people that maybe have full-time jobs or maybe have weekends free and they want to help out. Mm. Now, there's training involved. I, I think you provide some training if people need it. And what about stuff like awkward stuff like gather vetting and all that? Will you deal with all that? Exactly. So all of that's covered. Um, a lot of the roads won't be dealing directly with children or any vulnerable people. So gather vetting won't be required for a lot of the stuff that we're doing. It's mostly like stewarding at festivals and events and signposting members of the public where to go and that kind of stuff. Um, and the emphasis is us putting together a team of people that are going to volunteer at a series of events throughout the years and they're going to get to know each other. And what we've seen so far is we've seen some uh, of our new friends from Ukraine that are getting involved. So they're getting to meet some uh, members of the court community and they're um, starting to, to find their footing here. Um, while they're living here in Cork. So it's, it's really good to see. And the interest, Adam, is it coming from young people or older people? Oh, the, the age range is very diverse. So we have um, young people in their early 20s all the way up to people in their 60s. So there's a, there's a very uh, diverse age, age range in the group. And what motivates people do you, to get involved, do you think? I suppose after two years of not being able to do much and being stuck inside and lockdowns and all that kind of stuff, I think people are very eager to get out there and do stuff now and get involved. Um, and like I said, a lot of people may be new to Cork, they want to get involved. So they could be from um, here in Cork learning English or they could be 
uh, living here now after moving from a different part of the country. Uh, so it's a good opportunity for people to, I suppose, get to know Cork, uh, get to know the various different festivals. Like we're very lucky in Cork to have so many amazing festivals throughout the year, um, which other counties don't have uh, have as many. So um, it's a good opportunity for people to have a bit of fun, volunteer and get to, to know their communities. Okay. And people can find out information on the Cork Volunteer Centre. You have a website, I take it. We do, of course. So volunteercork.ie um, on, on our website and on our social media platforms. We're usually posting about it as well. Okay, volunteercork.ie. Thank you very much. That's Adam Lacey, the manager of the Cork Volunteer Centre for looking for community volunteers of all kinds to help out in their local area. 0818 96 96 96 <laughs> on the naked bike ride. Um, still stuff coming in. Some of it is funny. Morning, PJ. What about the Lord Mayor? I'd say he didn't think this was in his job description. Put me on that bike and it wouldn't be happening again. People, chill out. Chill out. Burr. Burr is talking about the photo shoot at the end of the naked bike ride on Saturday where the participants, those that wanted to, stood in for a photograph in the all together, as Mary put it earlier on, with the Lord Mayor. And uh, did the uh, did the Lord Mayor think that was in his job description? Asked Burr. Well, I'm sure I'm sure Burr she would have seen it on her diary. The Lord Mayor Deirdre Ford would have seen it on her diary this year, and she'd have been there. And certainly, if she didn't see it, the legend that is Finbar Archer would have seen it and said, "Lord Mayor, see that? <laughs> We're going there on Saturday." <laughs> yeah, I. I I don't know. There's a lot of people upset, strangely upset, by that photo shoot at the end of the bike ride. The bike ride doesn't even bothering anybody, but a lot of people saying that the the, the photo shoot at the end of it was um, was a step too far. Really? I mean, it's 2022. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. How did you get stung at the end of a relationship? When we were about 20, a mate of mine was madly in love with this one. She did the dirt in him. He found out. So they went <laughs> They went for a cycle. They stopped at a shop and she went in and he stayed out to mind the bikes. She had a quick release saddle. He wrapped the saddle and tore off. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> she was ringing him for hours. He never answered the phone again. <laughs> that that is so amazingly petty. Casey and Ross in the morning with no DC cars Blackpool, exclusively Skoda in the city. Find your next car online at noeldc.com. Open 24-7. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818-969696. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. 0818969696 is the number to call. The text to WhatsApp is 083-396-9696. And your email is opinion at 96fm.ie. You will have heard in the news over the weekend and seen in your newspapers today that NASA... And I think Leo Enright mentioned the last time he was on the opinion line, the great Leo Enright mentioned that NASA is about to send people back to the moon or thinking about sending people back to the moon. 
and when someone does go back to the moon that somebody will be a woman and we're also hearing that that someone is more likely to be a person of colour also and all that is happening the Artemis project is is being is the, the latest NASA project and, and all that it'll take this number of years Eugene who could always be relied upon for things like this says hi here's a nice piece of trivia about NASA going back to the moon NASA called their first mission to put a man on the moon Apollo remember that now 50 years later they're planning to return people to the moon this time the missions will be called Artemis in Greek mythology Apollo and Artemis were brother and sister my goodness Zeus came down to earth had an affair with Artemis and they had a son called Hera Zeus's wife turned the son into a bear Okay, and one day Artemis was out hunting and she was just about to kill a bear when Zeus himself stepped in front of her and stopped her and turned the two of them into stars in the sky which were the origin of Ursa Major and Ursa Minor well Eugene I don't know how much of that is true but it's a lovely story thank you <laughs> 0818 96 96 96 now what accidentally started there before I came back after the news was the latest update on the story of Kay Barrett. You'll be aware that a couple of weeks ago we spoke here to Claire Barrett, who's Kay's sister. Kay is currently in jail in Limerick Prison. And she was jailed in February when a number of suspended sentences were reactivated and a number of breaches of a barring order were reactivated and... Kay has severe mental health difficulties. She's from Dunhamore. She has severe mental health difficulties. And we heard the last time that when Judge James McNulty was sentencing her in uh, the district court in Clonakilty, I think it was, that he just felt he had no option but to send her to prison uh, because the services aren't there for her. And her family believes she should be receiving mental health services to deal with her various issues and her disorder and instead she is currently in Limerick Prison where she'll be until December after I did that interview with Claire a couple of weeks ago we were contacted from someone who gave us their identity, couldn't come on the air um, but wrote to us in great detail about elements of the story New K was familiar with Kay, but wanted to speak to us on a general term. And the gist of what that person had to say was that, in their opinion, both the patient and the family needs to work more with the services. That was the gist of what they were saying. Um, both Kay, Kay and her family have been involved with the services for quite a number of years. But in general terms, what this writer, this correspondent was saying to us was that families and the patient need to be willing to work more with the system. That was their view, having listened to the interview. Now, Claire and indeed Kay's aunt, Carmel, uh, were listening to me the day I read out that message. And they wanted to respond to certain elements of it. So I have been speaking to Claire again and also to her to Kay's aunt, Carmel. 
Now, Carol, let's start with you, and you're based in France. You contacted us after we had communication from a person who worked in the system following my first interview with uh, Claire about Kay. That person made the point that families need to liaise with the system. And I think you're both saying that's extremely difficult to do. Yes, despite what is uh, officially said that now the approach is the whole person approach and uh, community care, etc. is important, it doesn't seem to be the case. What was your experience in trying to liaise with the system? Well, there's one major problem that when we want to get information about Kay, for example, presently when she's in prison or uh, uh, when we address uh, any official bodies, ministries and so on, weren't entitled to information because of the GDPR. That's the the answer we got, mm. um, which meant that the first time she was in prison, we got no information. But uh, on the other hand, we were able to talk to the chaplain who could tell us that Kay was doing okay. So I wonder if this uh, GDPR, it's kind of an umbrella answer. That uh, That's why we can't get information. I know that Claire had permission from Kay to see and obtain her medical records. And that even yes. proved very difficult. It did prove very difficult, yes. Uh, uh, it took us a long time to, to get <laughs> the records. Even uh, Kay herself uh, found it difficult to, to, to get the records. So it's really un- unfortunate because I think the key is for us all to work together in the same direction. Kay ended up, unfortunately, in the Dochus uh, women's prison because she breached yes. a barring order. And that was a barring order the family had been advised to take out. Would I be right in thinking, Carmel, that if he'd known she might end up in Dochus for breaking the order, he wouldn't have taken it out? Of course not. Of course not. No, well, our understanding was that it would be a way to get her back into the mental health services because she was discharged in spring of uh, 2021. We were told um, by the Gardaí and uh, by the, the, the uh, social services that if there were a bar- barring order then, uh, she would be referred to a judge who would see that her problem was not a criminal problem, but a problem of mental health. And so she'd get back into the, the, the care system. It really backfired. <laughs> it did. And unfortunately, when she broke the order, it was in Dochus she ended up. How, how did you feel when that happened, Carmel? Shocked, I imagine. Well, she, she didn't end up in Dochus immediately. In fact, she ended up in Limerick. Uh, she was imprisoned for the very first time in February uh, uh, 2021 uh, on the 20th. She was supposed to stay in prison for four days. Yeah. That's the information we got. Yeah. And the next thing we learned, that she was in Dukas. So it just shows the, how this lack of communication, that we uh, always got information after the facts. Right. And in Dukas, she was supposed to uh, be in Dukas for two weeks or something like that, and she ended up being there until March 31st. So she went in uh, and, uh, in February for four days, February 20th, and she came out on March 31st. So we were really shocked then. That's when we started writing and making noise because we said, this is unbelievable. The family effectively feel, I think, Carmel, left out in the cold while, while Kay is going through her troubles. Exactly. And the, the whole idea of somebody who is ill 
being imprisoned for being ill. And, uh, they, they, you know, we felt that every day, every extra day she stayed in prison was only detrimental because what happens in prison? You lose your social skills. You lose your responsibility for everyday activity like preparing meals, shopping and so on. So mm-hmm. you come out worse than ever. Now, the person who wrote to us was speaking more in general terms and said, look, families need to work with the system. But here you are telling me and giving me numerous examples of how, yeah, you might you might think that's the right thing to do, but just try and do it. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Have you any, I know you're in France, have you any contact with Kay at the moment? Are you allowed to speak with her? We write to each other. Yes. And she writes regularly to me. And from her, from her letters, how do you think she is right now? Well, she says that she she'd, uh, she misses nature, she misses being able to go out, that she'd like to go for a walk or a run in the yard, but it's filthy. Um, you know, it's, it's just a shame. At the same time, I find her writing is very coherent yeah. and rational, and, and that, that makes it even worse. The fact that uh, she's so aware of the, of the situation. Yes. And are you fearful that when she does come out of prison, which I understand is close to Christmas, it'll be happening, that the whole thing could start again? Well, it's what happened. It's what happened the last time she came out of prison. This is her third stay in prison. And each time when she came out in March, on the 31st of March, an appointment with a consultant had been arranged for the 12th of April. You have to wait two weeks for an appointment. And you come out to an environment you've lost touch with. It's just not on. Anything can happen in those two weeks. And it did, in fact, because she had the appointment and then she was given another appointment for the end of May. And it was just to give her a prescription. So each time she, her hopes went up and then uh, they were squashed by what happened in reality. She, she's very anxious to get back into treatment, this DBT treatment, isn't she? She is, but um, for me, I don't think there's a just one miracle fix yeah. That the DBT, it's true that Kay did start it and she wasn't well enough after her chaotic year and it didn't go very well. And for me, it's the lack of continuity above all. It's really this need for communication with everybody involved around Kay uh, so that we know what's going on and that she has someone to turn to yeah. as soon as she's feeling uh, on a slope instead of. It always ends up being the crisis moment. Deal with her when there isn't a crisis is is what you're asking. Exactly, exactly. Yes, to have more uh, prevention. Carmel, it's good to speak with you and I'll be speaking again shortly with Claire. Thank you for being with me today. It was a pleasure. Thank you. And thank you for your programme. So Claire, back back with you now. um, And we'll talk about that communication we received in a moment. But the last time you and I talked, uh, you were about to go and see Kay. How is she? How was she then? Yeah, um, I, I went to see her on Saturday and she was very good and it was really nice seeing her. Um, she was in great form. Yeah. And um, I think it's it's really kind of giving her a lot of um, hope that like, you know, something might happen now because there's, you know, because of the interviews and the, the newspaper article. She just, I, I suppose she feels like more people are thinking of her and it's it's just giving her a bit more hope and the prison guards were, were lovely as well and they, they really have great time for Kay and you know they were just saying they, they know her they understand her struggles because they see what she's like when she's unwell and how she is when she's 
not manic, I suppose, is how, how you describe it, or not deregulated. And they've great time for her. So she's reasonably well at the moment, which is, which is good to hear. Yeah. And, and she's aware of the interviews that yourself and Carmel are doing that gives her a boost. I'll come back to that yeah. letter we got to the programme after my last conversation with you where the person said that the families need to liaise a bit more. Now, Carmel's not impressed with that and I think neither were you. No, because I, I feel like we, we, we did try to, to reach out and get some some contact but it was it was quite um uh what would you say not very consistent and every every time we'd get a phone call I, f- I felt like it was a different person it, it didn't seem like there was much communication um because I suppose Kay was going to the emergency room quite a lot and it, it might be a new doctor and I'd have to explain Kay's um situation yeah and you know like it just felt that they not very kind of cohesive or together um but yeah we 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 definitely did reach out but i suppose when she was discharged in october 2020 there was a very definite lack of communication then you know and we just kind of felt on our own a bit yeah and as a family you just want the best for her i know that and I've talked to Carmel about her ending up in Dochus, and she said that had you known at the time that taking out the barring order could have possibly ended up with her in Dochus, you'd never have done it. God, no, we would never have done it. We really, we, we really would never have done it. We were getting more open communication from the Gardaí, and they said, like, you know, what if you tried going down that that path that the judge would force? Then the judge would have to force some kind of medical intervention. Oh. So we were kind of so just might, might I tease that out a minute, Claire? So it came to a situation where the guards and others said to you, "Look, if there's a barring order there, I know it probably hurts to take it out. I'm sure they said that." If there's a barring yeah. order there and she breaches the barring order, that might force the hand of the system to take her back and give her the help she needs. That was the view. Yeah, that was the motivation. That, that was the reason we took it out because we were like just at a loss. We didn't know where to turn and the guards were in our house every day. And like it, it, it was just it was just literally out of no other other options. That was that's why we went for the, the barring order. For the and, safety and, order. and the guards also felt it might help. Yeah, we did because. I t- I, again, I thought that the judge would have kind of more more say in it that yeah. he would that that you know that his medical intervention would be kind of um, not forced, but like that the judge would say she has to go to hospital or you know it's not it's not a criminal matter that like yeah. she would be taken care of more by the medical system. You didn't expect her to end up in prison, and that was very upsetting for for everybody involved. Going forward, mm-hmm. Claire, and again coming back to this communication that we had about working. With that, that the families need to work more with this system. That seems to have been the, the, the standout point. I think both yourself and Carl would be saying, that's all very fine to say. But when we're a family trying to liaise, the system isn't very helpful. Yeah, yeah, like as in the Mental Health Act 2001. If you read it, it sounds great on paper. Like the theory behind it, it sounds great, but practically it doesn't work because like the patient has full autonomy. So the K... Because of her condition, she gets quite aggressive and it's generally the people closest to her that she lashes out on. Hmm. So she didn't want us to have anything to do with her, her medical matters. 
Mm. But we were we were kind of wanting to help, but we're on the outside because the doctors were saying, Kay doesn't want you to have anything to do with her situation. But didn't she eventually then say, Claire, that you can have access to her notes and her records? Yeah, yes. That proved difficult as well because we, as once she had the legal document to say that I could access her records, the GP's reaction was to contact his own solicitor. He was probably checking whether he was on solid ground to hand them over to you, I suppose. And that's, I suppose that's what we've, we, we've kind of, we've kind of realised that like it's a legal minefield rather than open communication, whereas the, the Gardaí were speaking quite frankly to us and kind of saying, you know, really sitting down with us, here are your options, what could you do? You could do this, you could do that. Whereas the medical system just seemed not really being able to, like it was like up against a wall to reach out to the mental health services. It was like Kay always falls, she, she, fell, she fell between categories and no one was responsible and everybody was covered, you know. It must be so frustrating. And I know that with her in prison now, at least the one thing you can say about her is she's safe. But of course, she'll be out again. And I think your fear and Carmel's fear is we'll just end up back at square one. Yeah, that's really, really a, like a, a big fear we have. But interestingly... <laughs> Since the interviews have come out, we've we've had more contact from the HSC. There's a meeting in September to put a plan in place earlier. Claire, I wish you all well. And again, I ask you to please convey uh, my good wishes and the wishes of my team back to Kay when you're speaking to her. I will, of course. Thank you so much for highlighting it and really appreciate it, Peter. Kay Barrett due to be released from prison uh, before Christmas, shortly before Christmas. And my thanks to, again, her sister, Claire, and her aunt, Carmel, who's based in France. Just to catch up there over the weekend. It's a sad, sad situation. And as I recall, uh, Don O'Leary is saying at the time when he was on talking about how mental health issues develop when people are very young, when kids are very, very young. The next Kay Barrett is currently maybe sitting troubled in the back of a classroom Um, because we don't pick up on these things early enough in people's lives. Thanks for that 0818 96 96 96. Did you ever hear of a jellyfish garden? A what PJ? A jellyfish garden. One has opened in Blarney Castle of all places. Next. All the stars on one show. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is George Ezra. What's up, y'all? I'm Beyonce. Hi, this is Harry Styles. Hi, I'm Lizzo. Hi, Ed Sheeran here. The Hit Mix with Shane Bucks on your radio. Weeknights from 8 on Cork's 96FM. Dr. Tom Doyle from the UCC. It is at Blarney Castle. It's an aquarium within a garden, correct? Good morning. That's right, yeah. How are you doing, Peter? It's, 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 um... Well, it's it's a concept garden, so you know, like you have the your Chelsea show and your Bloom Festival yes. up in Dublin, all these things. So that's that's kind of where we're going with this. Is this is a it's a concept garden inspired by jellyfish? But essentially, what it is, it's if you were to look at it or imagine it, it's almost like looking at a stage. You have a a, a stepped or raised beds. You've kind of got a little rocky shore in front of it. Lots of different potted plants or different types of plants. And then the back, backdrop to that are kind of six artworks or large panels. And in set in one of those panels, um, we have an aquarium with live jellyfish inside that. So it's it's not a garden you walk through. It's it's a garden that you you, you just you would look at, you know, like a, if you were at the Bloom Festival. I got you. And the live jellyfish within it, how are they being maintained? How are they being kept alive, I guess? 
I mean, jellyfish well, live in, in, in the open sea, so... Absolutely, and and see, that's the, that's the beauty of this, is that, you know, most people experience with a jellyfish is either being stung or you see them on a beach, washed up on the beach, and they just look like a blob of, of jelly. Um, and what we tried to do, the, the idea here originally was to take jellyfish out of the sea and put, put them in a place where people can appreciate them in a different light or look at them in a different way. And that's why, because when you see a jellyfish on the beach, you're just immediately thinking of being stung. So by putting jellyfish in an aquarium in a garden, there's the opportunity to kind of look at them in a different light and a more positive way and kind of see the beauty of them and kind of, and then that's what we've done. We've tried to compare and contrast with different types of plants and the shapes and symmetries and stuff like that. You say that they are feared and misunderstood, but they're feared for a reason, Tom. No one wants to get stung, I guess. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely, and um, and we're not saying that they're they don't sting, um, but I, I guess they do get more of a bad press lately. In in the sense that there, there seems to be people are always reporting on them, saying that they're increasing and that they're taking over the world. And and you know the evidence isn't there for that for many species. Jellyfish have always been there, and they are a natural part of our system. And they do sting, but ninety nine point nine nine percent of the stings are fairly mild and to be no worse than a, 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 a nettle sting yeah. or not even as bad as that. So, but yes, you can get a very bad sting by a jellyfish. Um, so, so you know, there's fear, but what we're trying to do is balance that and just get people to look at jellyfish in a, in a different way. Tom, what, what exactly is a jellyfish? It sounds like an awful stupid question, but we expect fish to have fins and tails and eyes and gills. A jellyfish. Yeah, yeah. What is it? I mean, is it a, is it a living, sentient creature, as such? It's the the they're animals, absolutely. Um, they don't have a brain as such as like what we, we what we think of as a brain. They have um, a nervous system, a very simple nervous system. It's like a ring, a ring around the edge of them. Um, they can sense vibrations. They can sense touch and chemicals. Um, and you know they do. They need oxygen from the water, just right. like we need oxygen. So, so they are living animals. They're just they're they're one of the simplest animals that are out there. So, when life first evolved, these guys were what were kind of dominated our oceans. Yeah, you know, like when you're swimming in the sea, and particularly in the warmer parts of the, the the ocean, you'll see fish swimming around. But the minute you step towards them, they sense you're there and they're gone. Not so with yes, a jellyfish. Yeah. That, um, and that's what's, what can be, well, jellyfish will, um, and that, well, that's what's nice about a jellyfish. If you're in the sea and fish will swim away from you, jellyfish, you can sit there and you can watch them and, and, and watch them pulsate as they're swimming past you. But they will sense you in the, in, in, they can sense vibrations. I see. Okay. So they, they have know, sensory. They something is there. Yes, and they can sense their prey. They can, you know, they're 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 almost uh, tasting the water in some sense. But they they they'll use their tentacles. They'll have a. Um, if you imagine some of these jellyfish, they'll they're almost like um, the, an exploding star. The tentacles will be stretched out in all directions, and they're trying to capture their prey because most of them don't have uh, eyes like say we do have. There are some jellyfish that do have eyes and, and can actually see, but um, the jellyfish in Irish waters don't. And so they, 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 they can, you know, they have to just feel their way around in, in the environment and actually try to capture their food. And that's why they have, and that's what's actually really nice on how we, in the, in the garden, yeah. we're showing the, the, their shape because jellyfish are unusual in that they're round. So they have this, what we call radial symmetry. But whereas most animals like ourselves and, and like if you think of insects, 
we have what's called mirror symmetry. So you have a left and a right hand yes, side. Yes. So think of a think of a think of a butterfly's wings. You know, like, like you can see this beautiful symmetry. But the same with ourselves, we have a left and a right hand side. But jellyfish have this round symmetry. So if you look at a wheel and you spin a wheel around, it always looks the same. Well, jellyfish are almost the same thing. You can spin a, a jellyfish around and it always looks the same. And they're, they're round for a reason because because they can't see as such. They have to find their food in all directions. So being round is one of the best ways to do that. You can stretch your tentacles out in all these different ways. And so whatever way food comes, comes you can capture it. Mm. So, um, But I should say there's a beautiful illustration that kind of demonstrates that in the, the garden, and we call it the jelly flower man. It's it's hard to visualize, but do you remember the, or you might know the Vitruvian man from Leonardo da Vinci? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the guy in the circle. And it's, it's, the, circle. the guy in the circle, the arms stretched out. So that's what the artist Siobhan Doherty has done, that she's taken the, uh, the Vitruvian man, put him inside a circle, but instead of a circle, we've made a jellyfish. So it's half jellyfish and half flower because flowers have that symmetry as well, that round symmetry. And that's why we find flowers very attractive, that kind of beautiful symmetry, five petals and you spin them around, it always yes. kind of looks the same. So jellyfish have that as well. And that's what's kind of unusual amongst the animals because most animals don't have that. So it's just, it's, um, so yeah, the garden, I, I should say as well that it's a collaboration between um, an artist and then the, uh, Siobhan Doherty and then the, the head gardener of Blarney Castle, Adam Whitburn, and uh, his, his ideas helped to create this garden. And because like we had the initial idea, but then it's how do you put it together? How do you get the plants and the different plants and how do you get them blooming at the same time and get the jellyfish together? So it was, it was a lot of fun. But what kind of, it's moon jellyfish are the ones there, how, that's they're, right. Yes, the moon jelly—they're—they're—they're the they're common jellyfish that you'd find on our shores. So, um, and and that's what we have in the tank. And, and actually, I, I didn't answer your question earlier. You asked well, how 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 do we keep them? They're in a special tank called a Kreisel tank, which is the German for merry-go-round. So essentially, what that creates is a circular flow of water around the aquarium. So unlike if you have fish in an aquarium, you, 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 they, they go left, you know, they, they go wherever they want and you'll have a little um, aerator that you see all the bubbles coming up. We can't do that. You can't have a little aeration system like that in a tank with jellyfish because the bubbles get trapped in their swimming bell. And if that happens, they just get stuck up at the surface then and they can't swim down because it's like they get a trapped air inside okay. them. So, so we have to create a, a very gentle flow, a circular flow in the tank. So it's a, so it's, it's a real specialized type of aquarium. Excellent, excellent, and it's it's open now in Blarney Castle. It is, yeah, it's open now, and, and people can go see it. And it'll probably be running for most of this week. But but, but the difficulty is, we yeah, we have to keep these jellyfish um, in 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 uh, alive and in good health in there. And it's 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 just difficult. Normally, we'd have it in a, an aquarium setting yes. or a whole facility. So we're out in the garden here, so we're having to keep it. Uh, the temperature rise and all that type of stuff. So okay. so we'll keep it probably for the end of this week, I'd say, anyway. Right. Good luck with it. Uh, that's Dr. Tom Doyle, marine biologist and lecturer at UCC and a specialist in the biology and science of jellyfish, that jellyfish garden at Blarney Castle at the moment. Unusual. 0818 96 96 96. Yes, uh, top with Scarlett earlier on and she got her wheelchair that she was waiting on since 2020. Absolutely delighted sentinet for Scarlett and for Susan, Susan's a mum. Seeing her at the end of a chair, the fuss march was heartbreaking. They're a beautiful family and now Scarlett has her freedom. There will be no stopping her. And getting back to Tory Top Road, we had quite a lot of response to that early this morning. The cycle paths on 
Tory Top Road. It's controversial in the area and we took one or two calls on it earlier this morning. You'll hear them back on the podcast. Uh, hi PJ, I grew up on Tory Top Road. Those trees were there when I was a child. Imagine taking parking spaces from elderly people's homes. They have no drives in their gardens. Uh, the drives are needed for home help callers and any other care they receive. It's baffling. My own elderly father says he'd be lucky to see any bikes going up and down the road during the week. It's a total waste of money, says Mick, who is in, who's in ovens. And on parking in general, Mick from Black Rock says, every time I hear someone involved in the city council talking about the need to cut down on parking, I wonder why do they not lead by example? on their well-serviced bus route and give up their staff parking. Yeah, I might have a point, Mick. 0818 Connor O'Keefe, we talked to a week or two ago, doing 32 marathons in 32 days. You finished yesterday, Connor. I did indeed, sir. I brought it home in, in Cork. Good man. A good day and a beautiful day for it. Oh, unbelievable. And just the support we got was absolutely astounding. Um, f- far more than I ever actually thought. Where did you finish up? We actually ended up finishing. I, I started in my hometown of Glamoyer, in, in Glamoyer GAA Football Club. And we ran into town and we finished then with loops of the Lee Fields. Excellent. Excellent. So you were raising money all the way around. How much did you come up with? Um, we've, we're have we nearly at €70,000 now. Um, so it's been a very successful uh, fundraiser like and campaign for Pieta House. So we've, we've been tremendously, uh, we're tremendously happy with the way it's going. And, you know, it just keeps ticking up and up and up now, now that the, I suppose the word has gotten out there that, you know, we've we've finished up the project. So 32 marathons, 32 days, 70,000. That's pretty close on two grand or more a day. Well done to you. And seeing as you do get this kind of mad thing anyway, all, what's your next crazy project after a short rest? Oh, the the next crazy project now is I'm uh, welcoming my first child into the into the world in about three weeks' time. Right. So that's 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 the big 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 adventure now that's uh, that's coming up for me. So that's the focus. Well, you must be you must be shattered shattered at this point. So a couple of good nights sleep before that would be essential. Oh, I, 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 you know what? I went out to celebrate last night, and we had, I had a couple of beers, and I swear to God, I have, I've never felt that as bad as I do now after one of the marathons. I feel terrible. I haven't <laughs> drank since April, I think, and I've the head is hanging off me now. Um, you know, I, 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 I was only saying it this morning. Like I can run thirty-two marathons in thirty-two days, but if you ask me to go drinking every weekend, I don't think I'd have the endurance for that. <laughs> Well, good luck. Good luck when baby comes along, Connor, to your safety partner. And uh, congratulations on raising a colossal amount of money for Pieta. 32 marathons in 32 days. Connor O'Keefe from Cork. This on Cork's 96FM. And speaking of festivals and gigs and looking ahead to gigs from 2023 or for 2023, all the festival headliners of 2022 are still there for you on the Back Garden Festival on Cork's 96FM on the app or at 96FM.ie brought to you by Harvey Norman and JBL, your specialist in sound this summer. Open up the app and you'll see the Back Garden Festival button. And there it is. There are all the tunes. 0818 96 96 96. Come here. I saw this at the weekend and I'm just... Tracksuits in pubs. There was a a Reddit post we saw at the weekend um, from a customer in a well-known bar in the city. 
and the place was half empty but they popped in for a pint and the barman said I can't serve you and sort of gestured toward the chap had a tracksuit on now, I don't know whether it was a full tracksuit or just legs or whatever or a top or bottom whatever I don't know but they had no tracksuits no service in one particular city centre bar and there's a couple of bars in Dublin after doing it now there's a piece actually in today's Irish Daily Mail now, their columnist Mary Carr says it's a good idea but you see if you look around the young people like tracksuits or joggers as they call them are they're everywhere everyone they're wearing them to school they're wearing them to work they're wearing them everywhere so you're not going to get into the pub if you have joggers on what next like no shorts uh, I, I, I don't know would, would that bother you uh, I personally personally I wouldn't go to a pub in a tracksuit I generally put on a decent pair of shorts or a pair of jeans to go to the pub but if you wander in I mean fellas working all day and they might have a pair of tracksuit legs on them and go in for a point on the way home and been stopped oh, no no tracksuits I thought we'd I thought we'd um, I thought we got past that remember that there was a time there was a time when you wouldn't get into a nightclub with white socks on I'm serious you would not get into a nightclub in car with white socks on if they saw you had white socks they wouldn't let you in that was actually a dress code in nightclubs. But now it appears some pubs, one in particular, even though it's half empty, and they should be glad of having people in to go for, go for a pint, no, no, no tracksuits, no tracksuits, can't serve you. It just seems a bit mad, doesn't it? Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 83 On Quartz 96FM. Yeah, we only have a few minutes. If, if, if anyone has any thoughts on the whole tracksuit thing in pubs, we can happily come back to it tomorrow. But there are some pubs now where if you go in wearing a pair of, I presume, joggers, and a lot of young women wear joggers now. It's almost like a uniform for them around town. And some of them are expensive to look at. That No service. See how that goes down with people. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Back on the televisions this week. We think the yeah it is this week. The Great British Bake Off. Yet another season of soggy bottoms. Patricia O'Flaherty from A Touch of Magic. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks for having me, PJ. I've been waiting all morning to say that. Yet another season of soggy bottoms. <laughs> <laughs> what is the attraction of this show? Do you think? Oh, you know, I think I was even trying to think of that myself. I'd say if I was a golfer, it's nearly like the Masters. Do you know what I mean? It's one of those things where if you're a baker, you loved to see amateur bakers just having crack in the kitchen and seeing how stressed, even though it's supposed to be lovely and calming. But the bakers themselves, they're the ones that make the show because I think they're superb in picking the perfect personalities to match the Bake Off. Yeah, there's a skill in that. The producers are people of great of great skill. Like, during the pandemic, so many people, during the lockdowns, so many people turned to baking. Like you said, to calm them down and, and keep them sane. Although we soon said, if I saw another slice of banana bread, yeah. it was going through the nearest window. <laughs> but th- there's no sort of relaxing calmness in this show. It's manic. It is manic, but you know, I think what's what's funny about it is, is I'm actually quite calm watching it because it's it's like one of the things where I I tell my kids, I tell my all my family, 
leave me alone. The Bake Off is on. Telly comes on. I've my mug in my hand. And it's, I suppose, sometimes because it can be a train crash, it's fantastic entertainment because you think, oh, no, she's put salt in. Oh, my God, it should have been sugar. What is she doing? I mean, I just think it's fantastic. And I think what's as, what's brilliant as well is it does encourage people to bake because they're looking at the telly. Oh, God's sake, what is she doing there? For goodness, I could do better than that. And lo and behold, by the time the weekend comes, they've got their pinion and their apron and their cracking eggs in the kitchen. It's to get people, I think, excited about scratch baking getting into the kitchen and just having a laugh see what works see what doesn't work and let's be honest it's all about science so it's getting the chemistry right well now how true to life is it i mean you do this you bake so how true to life is it because i'm always wary of reality tv and how real it actually is oh i think you know when you're up against it and i think when the stress starts creeping in. That's when the hilarity starts because you've got people that are so calm when they're baking, but it just takes something that they omit, like baking powder, or it could be missing an egg, and then it just goes pear-shaped. And it can be really funny to watch because there are times, even as a professional baker, I'm going, I don't believe it. I've actually forgotten the sugar. And you'll see the cake has already been thrown into the oven. You can do nothing about it. You can't even splash holy water. It is beyond help. How how can you forget sugar when you're making cake? I know, but you see, that's the thing. You genuinely, you get to a stage where you're beating the butter and then you get distracted. Either a phone call or you hear something ping and and you think it's an email you're expecting and you just go into automatic pilot. And I mean, it has happened. I mean, that's where I think if anyone says they've never forgotten something when they're baking, they are lying through their teeth. And then again, PJ, could just be me. Of course. uh, Another thing I think that people like, it comes on in September, that... It is the time of year when people start doing the old Christmas baking anyway. So you might get a few tips off the show. Oh, yes, absolutely. And I think it is amazing because you'll find little things, even as simple as lining a tin, you know, and it's things that you'd never think of that if you were even weighing out golden syrup that you oil a spoon so that when you're dipping it into your golden syrup, it just slides off. So, I mean, there are little tips and tricks that you can watch on TV and there are little gems. But I think what's lovely is the fact that these are complete amateur bakers. You cannot be a professional baker. You can't be in the industry. You have to be somebody that literally cracks eggs, bakes and does all the necessary um, baking um, morning, noon and night at home. And cracks, eggs, cracks eggs and then spends the next two minutes trying to fish the shell out of the bowl. Yes. <laughs> Ask your grey crack as they say. <laughs> well, do you know what? Do you know what gets a small piece of shell out of the bowl I learned one time? A big piece of shell. Yes, to stick to exactly. It. I didn't know that. Yeah. I, saw a video, I saw a video on TikTok about that. So it starts in September. Uh, it'll be It'll grip people again for another season. Mick was on to say, Patricia, bakers don't use sugar. Confectioners use sugar. There was a strike about this. (laughs) Did you know that? (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Mick Mick is always reliable to come up with something like that. Thank you, Mick. And thank you, Patricia. Patricia O'Flaherty from A Touch of Magic, the great British bake-off season 306, I think, starting in a couple of weeks' time. Another season of Soggy Bottoms on the way. Cork's 96FM, that's about your lot for today. The programme edited by Fiona Corcoran, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. See you tomorrow, just after nine.
Someone says here the rose are truly cringe and then the green emoji meaning they're yeah. unwell. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so, so if this the traditional rose are truly in its current format as we know it, why isn't there one for lads? Let's have a lads rose are truly. Yeah, yeah. The, the bros of truly. The bros of truly. Lucy and Ross in the morning with Noel DC Cars Blackpool. Exclusively Skoda in the city. Find your next car online at noeldc.com. Open 24-7. Fox 96 FM.